And we're glad you're here today, and we're glad you're here online as well, all over uh, South Florida, around the world as well. And welcome, Happy New Year. Half of you weren't here last week. We were here. We're glad you're here, and it's a good year to start. We're glad you're a part. We're starting a new series uh, now. we finished the small books, big ideas, we finished Christmas, and now we're starting a new series. And we're gonna do something we've never done before in the way we do uh, our teaching over the next few months. We're gonna do two series simultaneously. We're gonna do two Bible studies simultaneously. Say, how do you do that? Well, one is we're gonna do the Gospel of Mark. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. We're gonna take Mark, I haven't done that in a long time. I don't think I've ever actually preached it fully here. So we're gonna take the gospel as we work between now towards Easter, kind of do the gospel story, the story of Jesus, the story of the disciples, the story of the parables and all the teachings and do that through the gospel of Mark. And we're actually gonna continue probably, we won't finish it by Easter, so we'll do some things after Easter. But attached to that is we're gonna talk about how do we live out the gospel at Boca Raton? So once a month, we're gonna digress out of Mark and into another study that's gonna be a six-month study once a month on how do we, as members and attenders and people online, how do we live out the gospel that we're learning in the gospel of Mark? So it's a teaching, there'll be teaching on that week as well. But the way we're gonna do this is for all the groups, for those of you that are in groups, you'll also be looking at this once a month. So let me give you an example. So. Over the last few years, we started an initiative to train our people called Church Lead. You've heard of Church Lead. Church Lead is uh, developing disciple-making leaders. It's an opportunity. There's a word in the New Testament called disciple. We'll talk about what a disciple is now. What does it mean to be a disciple? What is a disciple? How do I become a disciple of Jesus Christ? We'll talk about that in a few moments. But church lead is what we do. And we realized we were reaching about 100 people a year. Well, we're a church of 1,000 or 1,200. And we thought, how can we reach everybody with this and not just a few people with this? So I said, let's bring it to Sunday morning. And so what we're going to do is once a month, starting next week, today's kind of the introduction of it, we'll do a talk about what it means to be a disciple. And we think there are five major characteristics, which I'll get to in just a moment, of being a disciple. And we'll do that over the next five months. And then during the month, in your groups, there'll be a teaching. Francois does one of the teachings, Cameron, Carl, Bill Hood, my wife Elizabeth, those are the five teachers. Once a month, we'll do a teaching inside the group. So I'll do a teaching here. They'll do a teaching in the groups, and then we have the Gospel of Mark all coming together. You go, will this work? We're gonna see how it works, because I've never done two at one, but I think we're gonna have a good time with it. Our key verse in understanding disciple-making, there's two key verses, kind of the verse we've adopted, but I'll also give you another verse in a few moments when we open the word, is to equip the saints for the work of the ministry for building up the body of Christ. This is Ephesians chapter four. So many times over the last 2000 years, church work is this, that the congregation hires men and women to do the work of the ministry. 
pastors, teachers, nuns, uh, missionaries, whatever it may be, you all pay us to do the work of the ministry. That is not what the Bible teaches at all. What the Bible teaches is that there are some people who help other people do the work of the ministry. As we're doing the work of the ministry, we're assisting others to do the work of the ministry. And it's not just people up here helping you do the work of the ministry, you're also helping others do the ministry. You see, when you become a disciple, you also make disciples. There's a reproductive aspect to this faith called Christ following. When we follow Christ, there's a sense of understanding the reproduction of that, and we'll get through and on to that. Why? If we look at this verse, the what of this verse is to equip believers. When someone becomes a believer, there's something else that happens. One of the things that bothers me most of all in Christian work and me being involved in all this is, I'll ask somebody, are you a follower of Jesus Christ? And they'll say, yes. And I'll go, tell me your story. And their story is something that might have occurred 20 years ago, which is great, at a camp or at a school or with a parent or with a friend or in college. And then they won't say anything for the last 20 years about their faith. That bothers me more than anything. Why? Because their faith is only a historic event way back when, and it's not a daily occurrence with the Father, with the Son, with the Holy Spirit. We as followers of Christ, it is a daily event. We'll talk about that as well. And it equips us. We are to be equipped. What's the next part? The how. To do the work of the ministry. We are equipped so that we can do the work of the ministry. And what is the result of this? The building up of the body. If we as the body of Christ, the believers are called a body, they're called other things, a building and different things. But if we as the body are healthy, we have the ability to get outside of ourselves, outside of the church, outside of this building and be healthy around our community. If we are unhealthy here, no one's gonna want to do anything with Christ out there if they see nothing but bad health in here. Spiritual health in here means we can go out and share it with others. If we're fighting with each other, we don't have the time, the energy, or the testimony to share it with others. So we need to be building up because we're equipping the saints to do the work of the ministry, to build up the body. So how do we do it here at this church? I wanna just give a review a little bit about it and then come into some verses. Can I do that? So. The vision of our church, it's good to do this at the beginning of the year as well, and many of you know this, but I want to repeat it. The vision of our church is threefold. We want people to pursue God, we want them to build community here within our congregation and other places, and engage the world. There's an up, an in, and an out part of this. To engage and be a part of pursuing God building community and engaging the world. And it's in that specific order because here, we live in South Florida, don't we? What is one of the biggest complaints you get here in South Florida? Those of you who are not from South Florida, what is one of your biggest complaints here in South Florida? Besides getting hit at Publix <laughs> by the person behind you, it's that I can't make any friends. Nobody is friendly. I have heard that 
thousands of times, literally. I'm not making it up. I just can't make friends. They're so unfriendly here. It's so hard. Have you ever thought that? Anybody? Or am I the only one that hears this? You tell me these things, so raise your hand. Okay. Well, we need to dispel that. You know, there's a... Oh, I'm going to really offend people now, but that's okay. There's two kind of people in fruits. There are the coconuts and the peaches. Okay, the peaches are people that are soft on the outside, very friendly, very great, always so nice, 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 nice. And as soon as you dig deep, it's hard as a rock because there's a pit in the middle of that peach. There's a pit in the middle of their life. And everybody thinks because they're so friendly outside that they're friendly inside. I have found people friendly on the outside are not always friendly on the inside. The closer you get to them, the harder it is. Now there are coconuts. We in South Florida are coconuts. We are hard on the outside. But can I tell you, if you break through it, it is incredible what's inside the milk, the flesh of the coconut is unlike anything else. But the problem is it's hard on the outside. Let me give you an example. Uh, Elizabeth and I just moved two years ago during COVID, but we lived 25 years in our family home just a mile south of here. Our next door neighbors were kind of coconuts. They were coconuts. It was hard, hard, hard. I mean, they were hard. I mean, they said hello, but other than that, it was hard, 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 hard. We couldn't get through. Nothing we could do got through. Then one day, right down the street, I'm waiting at a traffic light. The other traffic was coming, and I hear, bam! And I look, traffic accident, and it's my neighbor who's been hit. And so I I parked the car real quick. I run over to her, and um, she's okay. She broke her arm through it. I mean, she was fine. Other than that, broke the arm, the car was a wreck, but she was, and I'm talking to her, a little in shock. I call her husband, who happened to be in Miami at the time, doing some business, he wouldn't get, I said, don't come back, she's fine. I'll go to the hospital, I'll go with the ambulance. I parked my car in a parking lot of a store nearby, and I went in the ambulance, got to the hospital, stayed with her the whole time, and then finally the husband came, what, three hours later. She was fine, he goes, why did you do that? I said, you're my neighbor. This is what neighbors do. Can I tell you, it cracked. The last five years as we were neighbors was unbelievable. They were no longer hard on the outside. Cracked through. What was it that cracked the shell? A little bit of mercy. A little bit of just doing what God's told us to do. Wasn't a big deal. I spent three hours of my life. I would have done it with a stranger, for goodness sakes. I have done it with strangers. If you see an accident, you go help, right? So to do it with a friend or a neighbor, and it cracked the shell. You see, we need to crack the shell. And we need to build community. And we need to show people you can crack the shell. And the way you crack the shell starts with pursuing God first. And then... You build community, and then you engage the world with this, with this understanding of who God is by building community. You engage the world. You engage your neighbor. You engage people you don't even know with this mercy and grace that God's given you, and you do it in such a way. That's the vision of our church. Different churches have different visions. I'm all for them, but this is what we believe. We live in a very specific place 
that does not build community, and in fact, we harbor our communities in such that we block them off with all these walls and everything, so people can't have community. People go, why don't you go visit people in their houses? I can't even get to their house. Can't get into their apartments. Can't get into the condo. Even rental apartments have guards nowadays. Well, what are the values? That's the vision of our church. What are the values underneath? Three very important things. We are Christ-centered. We are unapologetic believers in Jesus Christ. You need to know that that's not a um, well-liked thing in our community. I don't mean in the community of Boca, in our country. People are okay with you believing in God. They're not really big in us believing in Jesus Christ. But let me tell you, we are Christ followers. This church follows Jesus Christ. And so everything we do and all these groups and all these things we do, there is a sense and an understanding that we're following Christ. And then number two is I come back, we come back to this community sense that we want authentic community. We do not want to be peaches. And we certainly don't want to be coconuts. We want to crack the coconuts but we don't wanna be peaches. A lot of churches are like the peaches. Oh, they're nice. Hey, come, 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 come. And then you can't get to know us. We want, and that's why we do groups is so you can get to know us and we can crack through the peach so that we can cut that pit out and just have the soft, fresh fruit of peaches or whatever it may be. And then the third value that we hold is whole life generosity. We believe that God has given to us so that we can give to others. That's not just money, that's your talent, that's the truth of the word, that's your time, all kinds of things that you are willing to do because you're a follower of Jesus Christ. And because you're a member of this church and you go, we're here to help. And so we are unapologetic to ask for people to help us with the kids, help us in the clothing, to help us here, to help us there. People go, well, don't ask me to do that. Well, no, we are unapologetic about wanting to have whole life generosity. And that is just something who we are. And when we have membership class, I go, if you don't want to be generous, there's a lot of good churches. You can just go and be fed and have a good time and get some good music and get a good sense from the word and go home. That's not this church. This church, if you want to be a part of, you will be asked to do things. You'll be asked to give. You'll be asked to participate. What does the Bible say? Better to give than to receive. It is an amazing thing when that happens. Now, we have the vision up here. We have the vision down here. How does it come together? And this, I, I use the word model. You can use any word you want. It's the people side of it. The people side of this is your personal relationship to God. If you do not have a personal relationship to God, then it is only having fellowship, and it is only hearing good music, and it is only hearing a good word and feeling good about yourself and walking out of here. But we want each person to have a personal relationship with the Father through his Son, Jesus Christ, being empowered by the Holy Spirit. That's what we think a follower of Jesus Christ is. We'll talk about that more. The second is the corporate side. Corporate just means big. So we do these big events. It's called church. 
That's a bad word because church means about 20 different things. But when we have church on Sunday morning, that's big. When we have a worship night that we're having in two weeks, that's the big. When we do across the street with a big event outdoors, that's the big. When we do Easter and have multiple services, that's the big. We come together in the big to celebrate all that God has done for us. We invite people, it's a great time. But that's not it. It's not just the personal and the big. The third part for this church is groups. And the reality that you come together in groups. When we talk about groups, you'll notice if you've ever been in any of the rooms around this church, outside of the chapel and this room, they all have tables. Tables, they hold eight people. And the reason is this, so that even if you're in a group of 25, that's three small groups. You're always in a small group anywhere during the week. And even when we have to set up chairs, we have so many groups, we do them in the lobby, we set them up in circles so that everybody has an opportunity to be in a small group, to meet somebody, to not walk out of here saying this church is a coconut. And I don't want you to walk out and say this church is a peach either, where we're good on the outside and hard on the inside. It's far deeper than that. So what is a disciple? It's very simple. A disciple is a devoter, devoted follower of Jesus Christ. A devoted follower of Jesus Christ. What does that mean? For us here at the church, we have defined this in five ways. And I want you to look at them. And these are not in an order that's most important. They're in an order. And other churches may have other ways they define it. But these are the five ways. And over the next five months, starting next week, we'll go over one of them. The first is this. A devoted follower of Jesus Christ loves and shares Jesus. Loves you're devoted, you love Jesus, and you could put Christ there if you want Jesus Christ, we just have it there, and shares him. There is an outward approach to our faith. Disciple who make disciples. See, we are disciples who make disciples, and then those disciples make disciples. So you've seen, those of you who have been here a few years, have seen my, I did my spiritual heritage um, up on stage with 12 chairs, and I traced back 12 generations of my spiritual heritage. Well, one of those, towards the end of my spiritual heritage, is a couple who taught me, Anne Elizabeth, what it meant to be a disciple. They're here today. They now have retired and moved back to Florida, and they're part of our church. And I was under... He was a pastor here, and I was under him. Now I'm the pastor, and he's under me. I don't know how that works, but uh, somehow be kind to your interns because someday you'll work for him type of thing. So be kind to people. Someone's going to be a pastor one day up here, and I'm going to be sitting down with you when I'm older and listening to them. But here's the point, is that we're not just disciples. We make disciples because we love Jesus and we share Jesus. And a lot of people love Jesus and go, we're not allowed to share Jesus. 
Well, the Bible says you're supposed to do it, and we'll get to that in a minute. So either you decide to do what the world tells you to do, or you decide to do what Jesus tells us to do. And I think we do what Jesus tells us to do, at least at this church. And people may like it, and people may not. But here's the thing. If you lead with mercy, you lead with grace, you lead with love, the love of Jesus, the grace of Jesus, the mercy of Jesus, and not just pound people, there's a lot to it. The prayer, it's unbelievable. Number two, another part of this is live out your calling. A disciple understands that they are called by God and that each of us have been called to do something while we are here. If you are alive, if you're breathing breath, then live for Jesus. I tell you what, you can do it in a hospital bed, in a senior home, in a children's ministry, and all of us who are in between, we have that opportunity. You are not retired. You are not too young to do it. Here's the thing. At some point, everybody says, I'm too young to do this. That's for older people. Then at some point, you hit a point, and you go, I'm getting kind of old to do. I don't need to do this. I'll leave it to the young. And you've never done it. I don't get it. God has called us. This little kid, all of us in between, we've been called. And we're gonna talk about calling and understanding that we are to live out the calling God has called us to. That's the second month. And the third one is this, and this is so important, to grow in character, to understand what it means to have character. Here's the problem is that, and we've seen this with pastors and workers and spouses and all kinds of things. People who fall, morally fall, they have this incredible calling, they have these great abilities, they're gifted, all this stuff, and their character is somewhere down here. And they can't handle the difference. And they go. Be sure that your character is in line with your calling. It's important to know that, not to have a great calling, I wanna do this. That's why when people come here, I have people, they're here one week and they say they wanna be a teacher here. I go, they go, I've been called to be a teacher. I believe you've been called to be a teacher. I've been called to lead a ministry. I believe you've been called to lead a ministry. I have no idea if you have the character to do it though. You may have the ability to do it, but do you have the character to do it? Do you have the integrity to do it? Do you have all those things? We're gonna spend a month on that down the road and we're gonna look in Gospel Mark and also. Then there's the fourth one. The fourth one is this, to live in community. I've said enough about community this morning, but to live in community, we'll talk about that. And then the final one is this, to use your gifts. The Bible says God has given us so that we can give to others. The gifts we have been given, and here's the amazing things. The gifts that you've been given, and the gifts that you've been given, the gifts that you've been given, are all different. All different. I remember um, a friend of mine who was very wealthy, he wasn't a friend at the time, he was not a believer. In fact, he rejected Christ, totally rejected Christ. This was before I knew him, and he was telling me this after he came to Christ. I said, tell me how you came to Christ. He said, well, I did it at a church service, and he said, but the pastor doesn't get any credit for that. He goes, it was my gardener, my gardener. I said, tell me about your gardener. He said, every week when my gardener came, he would come to me and go, how can I pray for you, Mr. So-and-so? 
He goes, I don't need prayer. Look at this. I don't need prayer. Why would I need prayer? He goes, well, someday you will. Next week, how can I pray for you, Mr. So-and-so? Weeks, weeks, weeks. Finally, he was having a struggle personally, and he told the guy, and the guy prayed for him. And then he started praying. Wealthy man, gardener, developed a relationship, and he credits the gardener for him coming to Jesus, not the pastor, and not coming forward in a church. Everybody thinks when he came forward in the church, that's when he came to Christ. No, it was in the front yard of his house with a gardener who was using his gifts. I'm telling you people, we have an opportunity to use our gifts. Now let's turn in the Bible to Matthew chapter 28, verse 16 to 20. Last verses in Matthew. And while you're turning there, can I give you an assignment this year? I see some of you have pens, the rest of you have phones. This is an assignment, and it really is an amazing thing. I want you to think of two people that you would love to see come to Christ this year. Family members, friends. I'm not talking about someone you don't know, okay? You could pray for them too. But I'm talking about two people you know and come in contact with. Do you have those two names? I want you to write those names down. Those of you who have physical Bibles, I want you to write them down in the front open first white page. Now, I don't have mine here. I have them in my old Bible. My wife gave me a new Bible for Christmas. Doesn't it look nice? It, it doesn't look very used. It looks like some of your Bibles. But, <laughs> oh, come on. I'm just kidding. Just kidding. Oh, it is funny. People go, oh, my real Bible's at home. Yeah, okay. Uh-oh. Oh, it's okay. But I have a bunch of initials right here in my other Bible that I've been using for 15 years here. People you will pray for. Every time you open the Bible, before you read the Bible, say a prayer for those two people. If you use your app, if you use version, whatever it is, put it somewhere that every time you pray, every time you read the Bible, every time you have a devotional quiet time, that you will pray for those two people. Can you do that? Who would do that with me? Raise your hand. This is amazing. I'm telling you, it works. It works. Bringing people to the Father, it works because it will also cause you to think of those people and to share the gospel with those people. Just real quick, I remember as you're still turning to Matthew 28, if you haven't gotten there, it's real easy. But so a few years ago, I had my names, I've been doing it for years, and uh, Elizabeth has her names, and we didn't compare one year. We didn't say who's on your list and who's on my list. We forgot or didn't say anything. So we're at a Bible study in a small group, in a home, and there's people in this room who were there, and we were there, and one of the gentlemen who would come every week was not a believer. His wife was a believer, friends were, but he was not, but he came every week. And um, usually sits right over there. I don't see him today, but he may be there somewhere over here, I won't point him out. And he came to Christ that night in the Bible study. And afterwards, Elizabeth took her Bible and said, open it to the front page, not to the 
Genesis, but to the white paper, and his name was on it. And he goes, why is my name there? And she said, because I've been praying for you for three or four years. I didn't know this. And I said to the gentleman, take my Bible and open it to the front page. And he did. I put initials on my Bible because a lot of people use my Bible and look at it, so it was initials. He goes, what are my initials doing there? Go, because we prayed for you for years. I've been praying for you. Now I find out Elizabeth's been praying for you. He's a believer, he's a part of this church, he's part of the school, he's a part of our environment here and has been that for several years. Let me tell you people, it is unbelievable what happens when you pray for people. You don't have to do two, you can do three or four or one or six, but don't do 100 unless that's your ministry. I want you to do just two or three and do it. Matthew 28, verse 16 to 20, this is the end of Jesus' life. We'll come back to this at Easter time, or right after Easter in the book of Mark, but I want you to see it here in the book of Matthew. It gives us kind of the reason to exist in this whole area of discipleship. Now the 11 disciples went to Galilee. Why weren't there 12? It's always 12 because Judas is gone. Hasn't been replaced yet. He'll be replaced soon uh, down the road in the book of Acts. They went to a mountain to which Jesus had directed them, verse 17, and when they saw him, they worshiped him and some doubted. My sermon today is not about doubt, but let me just tell you something. Okay, so you have 11 people. They don't say, or Matthew doesn't say, who did the worshiping and who did the doubting. But out of the 11, these are the name people. These are the people you name your boys with. Thomas, um, Matthew, Mark. All these names, right, that we name. Philip, Peter, Andrew. Some of them doubted. Now, think about it. The top 12, one went south on them, and now some are doubting. Can I just tell you, it's okay to doubt, but these 11 men who were there didn't doubt for long. Because if you know what they did, they were empowered by the Holy Spirit a few weeks later, and they went on to create what we know as the Church of Jesus Christ around the world. It started with 11 people. So they doubted for a while, but it's interesting, it wasn't like five doubted, now we only have six left, we went from 12 and now we have six. No, they doubted. They were just in this whole experience of figuring it out, and it's okay to doubt every once in a while. Just don't live forever in your doubt. Doubt is like a bridge, and what does it always say on bridges up north that doesn't do it down here? Freezes faster than the road? It is dangerous to be on a bridge. In South Florida, it's dangerous if you're a bicyclist like I am. The bridges are the most dangerous places because the material they built, it's all, it's like the winds, everything happens. When you doubt, get over your doubt and move on. He doesn't stop there, verse 18. And Jesus came and said to them, and this is key, underline it, memorize it, understand it. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. 
And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Number one, Jesus says this, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me, to Jesus. Now think about it, at this point, they know Jesus as the man, Jesus as the good teacher. Now they haven't quite understood it all, obviously some are doubting, and they realize Easter has just occurred a week ago maybe, or two weeks ago, Easter has occurred, so they realize there's something different about this man. He has been given all authority. We'd actually say from the sermon I gave a couple of weeks ago, he had all authority. All authority in heaven and on earth is his. Think about that. When you're talking to people, whose authority are you under? The school boards, the office manager, the governmental words, or is it Jesus Christ and God the Father who's given us all authority? Understand it. And what has he given us authority to do? It's to make disciples. Not to make a church building, not to make big events, it's to make disciples. What are disciples? Those who love and share Jesus, live out their calling, grow in character, live in community, use their gifts. That's what we are to do, is to make disciples. And who are we to make disciples of? What does it say? All nations. This is everyone. Now the beautiful thing for us, a lot of nations have come to us. We're a congregation that has multiple nations in it, first generation, but wherever, we are to make them of everyone. It's not just to uh, the Westerners. It's not just to the Northerners. It's not just to the Americans. It's not just to the Western Hemisphere people. It's not just to the Caribbean. It's to all nations. And he tells us how to do it. He says, therefore, go. Go. Now, this is interesting because you have a group of people, and we're in a time of the world where people lived, were born, worked, died in the same town, the same little, right? People didn't go. I talked about that last week in Jude. People didn't go. But now we have roads in Rome that allowed them to go. They had opportunity to go. Wherever you go, therefore, make disciples. You go, you know what, I'm just here for six months a year. I live up north. I'm here for six months. I'm here for three months. I'm here for a month. Can I tell you what? Maybe you've been, you're going to South Florida to help us out. We need help, by the way. We can't do it by ourselves. You guys come down here and suck us dry. Now I've offended the other half. <laughs> but it's true. Why are the roads so busy on Friday night? You can't move on Friday night because they're all going out to dinner. And I'm fine with that. But you know what? You're here. You're a believer in Jesus Christ. Do something about it. Don't say I do it up there, wherever up there is. Do it also down here. You're meeting other people that don't know Jesus from up there or people that don't know Jesus from down here. You've been sent here, I think. I think you're sent here. We love you when you come here. There's hundreds of you that come in the wintertime to our church and to all around other churches. Let's do something, and some of you do. Get in a group, even if you're only in a group for six weeks or 
three months or four months, do something, get involved, participate while you're here. Then it says how to participate. It says baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. You go, well, only pastors can baptize. What it's talking about is really understanding their belief. And of course, yes, we'll, we'll do the baptizing, but we do that in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. All three parts of the Godhead were Trinitarians. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit is a part of this. And then, this is the part I want you to look at. It says, teach them to observe all I have commanded you. This is interesting. Christ does the commanding, we do the teaching. Somehow we've mixed that up and go, isn't Christ a great teacher as I command you to do things? Right? We command people to do things and we go, isn't Jesus a good teacher? Just understand, Jesus does the commanding, we do the teaching. We do the teaching based on the commanding he has done to us. He's commanded us to go and make disciples. He didn't just teach about it and say, you know, if you guys want to, go and make disciples. I have, no, I have commanded you to go and make disciples. And then it ends with this. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. He's with us. People ask me, when are the end times? Well, ever since that day, we've been in the end times. You realize we're all in the end times. We're one day closer to the coming back of Jesus, but they were in the end times back then as well because he is with us till the end of the age. Now, how does this all work? Let me give you an example. I love history, a lot of you love history. There's a very minor story in World War II. It's in the city of Rome. Rome was uh, uh, taken by the Nazis in World War II. It was run by a fascist government with Mussolini, then taken over by the Nazi party and the Gestapo ran Rome. The guy who ran it was a guy named Herbert Kapler. He had a family, he ran it and he kept his family there. I, I just don't know how they did all that, but they did those heinous acts and went home at night and had a family, three kids and a wife. He was there. There was another guy, a believer, his name was Hugh O'Flaherty, he was Irish, and the Irish were uh, neutral in World War II, and so he could move around Rome, and he ran the underground of Rome. He'd get people in and out, because if people could get to Rome, he'd get them out and through to Spain, and get them, which was also neutral at that point in time, and get them out and get them cleared. So Kapler hated O'Flaherty, he knew it, but Kapler could never catch him in the lurch. And since he was neutral, he couldn't, arrest him unless he caught him doing a treasonous act against the Nazis. So it never happened. Well, the Allies came and liberated Rome. The night before they liberated Rome, Kapler, the SS general who was running Rome, went to O'Flaherty and said, would you take my wife and kids and get them in your underground? Because I'm gonna be arrested tomorrow. And so here you have the ultimate bad, kind of the ultimate good. And O'Flaherty said, no, I won't. Because they're a part of your system. They have benefited from your bad acts. So the next day, Kaplan gets arrested. He's taken, of course, the Americans and the Canadians, et cetera, are interrogating him. And he said, where are my family? What'd you do with my wife and kids? 
And they go, we never found them. O'Flaherty had taken them to Spain, got them in the underground, and they got out, I think, to the South America eventually. And Kaplan was arrested, tried, and convicted life imprisonment in Rome. He only had one visitor in the entire time he was there, once a month. Hugh O'Flaherty would come and visit him for 17 years. Every month he would go visit him. It's now the early 1960s and Herbert Kaplan came to Christ because of the mercy and the love of Hugh O'Flaherty because he loved God and loved Jesus. And he had the privilege of baptizing him in one of those whatever things they have in a prison. He died two years later after that. You see, no one is beyond the love of God, the love of Christ that is shown through another follower of Christ. It took a long time. How many times did he pray for? How many times did he say, what am I doing wasting my time going to visit this bad guy? He just kept doing it, kept reading the scriptures, kept talking to him once a month for 16 or 17 years, and he came to Christ. Some of you are saying, my brother will never come to Christ. My son will never come to Christ. My daughter and his, her husband will never come to Christ. My boss will never come to Christ. You know what? That's between them and Christ. But you gotta give it the effort. You gotta show it. I believe that's what's important to do. Because what are we? We are disciples. And we have been told, commanded, to go and share the gospel. Have we not? Let me close with just a little word. This has been attributed to Mother Teresa. She did not write it, but it was on her plaque in her, uh, over in Calcutta for years. If you are kind, people may accuse you of selfish ulterior motives, but be kind anyway. If you are successful, you will win some unfaithful friends and some genuine enemies. Succeed anyway. If you are honest and sincere, people may deceive you. Be honest and sincere anyway. What you spend years creating, others could destroy overnight. Create anyway. If you find serenity and happiness, some may be jealous. Be happy anyway. The good you do today will often be forgotten. Boy, is that not true. Do good anyway. Give the best you have and it will never be enough. Give your best anyway. In the final analysis, it is between you and God. It was never between you and them anyway. God has called us to do certain things. Let him do the results of those things. Some people can talk and they, people come to Christ like this. I don't get it. They're just so good at it. I led four people to Christ this week, people tell me. I'm going, wow. That's not the answer. That's theirs. That's their calling. Your calling may be to pray and be an example for years for someone. 
I don't know what it is, but we are to make disciples. In order for you to make disciples, you have to be a disciple. In order to be a disciple, you have to be a follower of Jesus Christ. By the way, we're all disciples. It's what you are a disciple of that's important. Follower. And my question today, as the first Sunday after New Year's, second Sunday of the year, are you a follower of Jesus Christ? Do you love and serve him? Let's pray together.